Welcome to the Healing School Podcast. This is a place where you can get built up in the Word of God concerning healing. This is a place of truth and bold faith in the Word of God. We encourage you to get your Bible and some notepaper. Write down what the Lord is speaking to you. This is a place for both receiving and ministering healing. The stronger your faith gets in this area, the more effective you will be for the kingdom of our God. Hold fast to the scriptures. The truth of the scripture never changes and it never gets old. These are episodes you can feed on time and time again. Please share our podcasts with other people. Most always, someone either needs healing or knows someone who does. God bless you and heal you as you hear his word. God, yep, that's it. That's it. And so this morning, the word, well, for, for a while now, he has uh, been putting sanctification in my heart. And to go deeper with that sanctification. Can you hear me? Is that, is that a little better? Is that better? Okay. <laughs> so that the word that he has put on my heart is sanctification. And I know sometimes we, like, we'll read it in Scripture. We might bypass it a little bit. At times we, we think about it. We ponder on it. What does it mean? And, um, and so I asked the Lord, I said, hey God, what does this have to do with healing? Because we're in healing school. And so, yeah. And, and so what he said to me was often when people's hearts condemn them and they are not always wanting or willing to fully submit to receive a clean heart. Even though at salvation, we re- our spirit receives that sanctification. We, we still battle with that soul and, and the mind. And they're resisting it. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. That can cause doubt in their prayers, praying over others frustrated for not seeing results. And I know, I know I've been there. You know, Lord, why didn't they get healed? Why didn't I see that? Why didn't, why wasn't immediate? You know, it wasn't Jesus. I have that authority. So he says, I want their whole hearts, not just pieces. Not just pieces of it. Sanctification goes hand in hand with walking in authority. And even Jesus was sanctified. And you know, that was something I never realized until I really delved into it and the Lord showed me. In John 17, 19, Jesus sanctified himself. And I thought, why did he have to do that? Wait a minute. He's the son of God. He, you know, and, but he showed us. He showed us what we needed to do. He came as a man. He emptied himself. And he was taught by the Lord. He spent time with the Lord. And he was sanctified. And it's not something to fear. It's not something, you know, to be like, oh, no. You know, i got to give this up or give that up. Or what does that mean? Or that it's going to (laughs) hurt. So 
So I just wanted to start out today with um, a definition from the dictionary. And I love to do that because I love kind of to see, you know, I think, I think the dictionary could be viewed as like a worldly thing, I guess, maybe man's definition of some things. So I went to that, and, and the dictionary says to make holy, to set apart, consecrated. The next one was purity, or to purify. To render legitimate or binding. To entitle to reverence or respect. To make productive or conducive to spiritual blessing. Huh. That was, that was really interesting to me that the dictionary would have that. To spiritual blessing. Because the more that we allow the Lord to come and to sanctify, and, it, and each one of us is individual, each one of us have things that, that are going on or we're contending with, or I can just see the spiritual blessing when we submit. When we submit and we say, okay, God, do this. What, whatever you need to do. And sometimes we don't realize it, and sometimes it can sting. We can hear a sermon, we can hear, you know, or something that's like, ooh, that hurt. Well, you know what? That's the Holy Spirit saying, that's an area I want to sanctify. I want to make pure. So the thesaurus, I went there, and it gave the words to purge, a dunking, a sprinkling, purification, lustration, and I had to look that one up. <laughs> so... Lustration, L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N, so lustration, yeah, it means rebirth, rebirth, redemption, regeneration, washing, forgiveness, grace, and salvation, wow, sanctification. Those words that just describe what sanctification is. As I delved in and did a little more research, I found that salvation is used in the Bible 611 times. Sanctification, salvation. And 25 times it says to be born again. To consecrate, to devote, separate, dedicate, Give wholly over to God. Wow. I know at the time of salvation, we accept him into our heart. We're saying, yes, Lord. I believe who you are. You are the son of God. You died for me. You took my sin on the cross. And at that moment that we trust, and we have that faith, and we say, whatever it is, Lord, I'm going to live for you. Yeah, sometimes we hold back a little bit, don't we? We do. But you know what? We have a loving God who will walk us through that process. So if I've often read in 1 Peter where we're told to be holy, for I am holy, and wondered, and I prayed about, prayed into, of how this is possible. God, how could I be holy? I I. I understand that the Spirit lives in me, and I understand that God is holy, and 
I received all the things of heaven, of God, of Jesus, the treasures of heaven, and so on and so forth. How can I be holy? How? How? I knew I needed to be like that to do that. Yet often I felt like I hit a brick wall. And at times, it was really frustrating. So I'm like, God, I want to understand this. I want, I truly want to understand this. I don't want this to be a scripture that that is, okay, well, I read that, and yeah, let's move on to the next one because I don't understand. And then God took me on a journey of what that means. So here we go. <laughs> so let's look at the word, the word of God, what it says. In, the, in an Old Testament story, very early, of the word holy being used. It's in Exodus 3, and it's where Moses had come to the burning bush. So I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. Um, I really like doing that with the Bible, with the different translations. You can kind of see, you know, sometimes they're worded a little more fun, I guess. But um, and, and going to the kind of the, like the... Um, New American Standard, which they say is the closest translation to the Bible, or the King James Version, New King James, or, you know, the Amplified, or, you know, I even brought a message Bible because when I read one verse in there, and then I took it back to the King James Version, you know, to make sure that it was accurate and how it was being presented. Um, it's just fun. You know, sometimes it can just be fun. So, so it's Exodus. Three, one. Now Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb or Sinai, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was on fire, yet was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn away from the flock or I must turn away from his flock and see the great sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned away from the flock to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet out of respect because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, in some some translations, down at the bottom, it talks about that when it says the angel of the Lord, um, it is uh, capitalized because um, they're saying that it was the Lord Himself. So, you know that that was kind of an interesting thing that I read in there. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my shoes off because the Lord is here. We're reading his word, and this is holy ground. Okay. So in that moment, Moses crossed the, crossed the threshold that separated the natural realm from the realm that God called holy. It was so sacred to God that he commanded him to remove his shoes, lest he carry the contamination of the dirt that were on them, onto the place of the earth that had become God's sanctuary. 
in looking up, researching the word holy, holy in Greek, that is used in verse 5, is hagia, H-A-G-I-A. It is the form of the word hagios, which is used from that point forward in the Bible to denote the holiness of God, the holy presence of God, or anything that God deems holy. The place where Moses stood was a place where God dwelt, so so holy that no worldly contamination is permitted there. Let that sink in for a moment. Sanctification. No contamination, no worldly contamination. And I thought about that, and it's like, where does God dwell? In you. In me. What contaminations maybe am I allowing in into this holy place where God lives? It's super important to understand exactly what the word holy means. It can describe something that, though it was once common, it has now become separated, consecrated, holy, and sacred, never to be considered or regarded in a common way again. That's how we see walls. Wow. It is a place that is to be separate and sacred from other things. Here's an example. Translators of the King James were some of the earliest to give the Bible's full name as the Holy Bible. The word Bible is a translation of the Greek word biblios. Bibles or biblios simply means book or a scroll of writing. When taking the word holy in its definition and putting it with the Bible, it's saying the Holy Bible is a special book that's consecrated, separated, and set apart from all other books. You can walk into a library and find all kinds of books. Wow. Some that you really do want to pass by because they're not very appropriate or good or all kinds of things. Even the Holy Bible is on the shelf. But because it is the Holy Bible, nothing can compare to it and is in a category all its own. Every time we call it Holy Bible, we are agreeing it is like no other book. It is set apart and different from all others. Understanding the word holy is very important in taking us to understanding sanctification. As I did a little more searching, in the New Testament, Paul often wrote to the saints. And you'll see that at the beginning of his letters. To the saints, the beloved of God. Some people, I believe, think the word saint are people with little halos right above their head. <laughs> or, in Catholic churches, what I've learned is you're declared, honored, and named a saint after so many proven miracles. And I believe it's three proven miracles that they've done that they can actually, it goes into some very important thing that's now your title, such as St. Teresa, St. So on and so forth. But the word saint is actually a form of the Greek word hagios or hagios, which we discovered is the same word for holy. Yeah, he calls us saints, we call him holy. Hallelujah. Paul used this word to describe Christians, which means before they came to Christ, they were just regular. 
people, human beings, like everybody else. I've learned and have come to discover we're no longer just human. I've heard that a lot in life as believers. We are not. We are now supernatural beings. Children of the Most High God, we are in an entirely new category that is holy. I've heard this said so often, well, they're just a man. Why did the pastor do this? Or why did this? Or this? Well, they're just human. Or we walk around, well, I did this because, you know, I'm only human. When we're believers? Oh, no, we are not. No, we're not. We are supernatural beings. In a split second, fraction of a split second, Holy Spirit's presence comes in, removes us from the category of unregenerate human beings to a special category of set-apart, consecrated, marked off, holy beings created in God's image. This is a saint. You are a saint. You are holy. You may look like a human being with eyes, a nose, hair, feet. Some feet are bigger than others. <laughs> Some have less hair than others. Some, you know, it, 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 we can look so maybe the same on the outside as human beings. But we are not. God expects us to adjust our thinking to his written holy word when we do become believers and we are now supernatural. And we're to behave accordingly because we are not who we once were. This means we must think differently. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from uh, the message. Romans 12, 2. Since it's the message, it's the. Uh, you know how they kind of run the verses together a little bit? Okay. So I'm going to start with one and then we'll end up with two. So, so here's what I want you to do God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. As an offering. Embracing what God does, God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That, that really, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, when we go to, it, we're supposed to talk differently, so let's go to Colossians 3.8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. I don't know about you, but there's times where I just get upset. <laughs> Words came out that shouldn't have come out. Or anger, malice, 
maybe holding something against someone or something, and only the Holy Spirit checks me on that. But he does it lovingly, and he says, uh-uh, no, <laughs> that, that doesn't belong. That's not who I want you to be. Give it to me. And it took me a while to really listen to Holy Spirit. It took me several years to fully understand that that's who was doing that in me. But when I realized that he loves me that much, that he wants to correct those things, and he wants to crucify those things. So, Proverbs 4.23. And again, this is on how we see things, our behavior. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put your perverse lips far from you. I'll just keep reading down to 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or left. Remove your foot from evil. There's a responsibility that we have there too. And when we go to the Word and He tells us and He, he shows us and He directs us and guides us and we have a responsibility. Are we going to listen or not? Are we going to do a part to say yes, Lord, and to submit to that and, and take these words and one of the things that, oh, God reminds me, Jesus reminds me all the time, don't look to the right or to the left. Look at my face. And I've seen it so often, and I probably shared it before, but it's as if Jesus takes, he cuts my face. And he says, just look right in my eyes. And when he does that, the revelation that he gives me, the burning out, not painful, not, not like you would be burned in the natural, but it's when I look in those eyes, he sets everything right in me. And so that helps me to not look to the right or to the left, to go after this or be concerned with that and so on. So, And we're to act differently. Just as God's holy presence sanctified the physical location of the burning bush on Mount Horeb, his divine presence in our lives has set parameters around us that separate us from the rest of the world. We are holy ground. We are in the world, but not of the world. So let's go to 1 John 2.15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. For they... We're following the way of the Balaam, of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So we can see those that did not choose God and they wanted to follow other gods. And they loved those ways of unrighteousness, but that's not who we are. 
God sees us as lifeless. And we take that at, at most important. We are lifeless. We are holy ground. Jesus even said that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And that was a concept even... I've, I have those in my life that struggle with that right now. What do you mean? You know, everybody, we're in the world. We have to, you know, we have to do what they do, and we have to survive in this world, and we have to... And, and they don't fully understand that, you know what? I am a saint. I am holy. I can live in this world, and I can now go out and take what the Lord has poured into me and take out into the world and not be a part of what they're doing because I am sanctified. And we must press forward and adjust our lives upward so we continually reflect who God has graciously made us to be in Christ. Because we have been made righteous and God has declared us holy. 2 Corinthians 5.21, and you, you don't have to turn there, you can if you want, but it says we are the righteousness of God in Jesus. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's take a look at that one. You guys will know what that is. And I call on this verse a lot. <laughs> things maybe that I'm struggling with or the enemy, oh, well, do this, do this, do this, you know, it's okay, it's it, or your thinking's not bad, it's all right to think about this person this way or that way or whatever it happens to be. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Sometimes I get down on myself or I'll think back and I'll have regrets and so on and, and feel that guilt. And then the Lord reminds me of this. You are a new creation. You're clean. You are clean. We're crucified with Christ, which says in Galatians 2.20. It also says that in 1 Corinthians 1.30. When we are new creations, there's much that is different about us, that should be different about us. Do we still struggle with some things? We do. We do. And, but we become the fragrance of Christ. And that's another thing that the Lord has taught me that, and, and we've learned throughout this, is that when we walk into a room, and the atmosphere changes because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Because you know what? We're holy ground. We're saints. We are holy. We become the fragrance of Christ. What is that fragrance for someone who isn't willing to submit? How is your fragrance? Maybe a little off? I don't know. I don't know. But that just that really impacts me because when we when we look at our lives and the sanctification of our lives, that we are a living sacrifice, we are a sweet aroma that goes up to the Father. Scent is important in the kingdom. And often the world wants you to think scent in a different way, but it is a holy scent that we put off. 
because of who is in us. And it is harmonious. It's harmonious. It goes on. And people's lives are touched. And some people will reject it. Some people will be drawn to it. The next thing I want to deal with, yes. That was about being crucified with Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.30. So for we are to God the fragrance of Christ is 2 Corinthians 2.15. And another one is Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. the next thing I wanted to, that the Lord said, you know, a lot of people deal with their conscience. <laughs> and the Bible talks about conscience. And when we become believers, we're forgiven and we receive salvation and eternal life. Then the Holy Spirit takes us on a wonderful walk and journey with him. And he sanctifies us and heals our conscience. In doing a quick study, I came across a list of 12 kinds of conscience. So I will, I'll read the first two. Uh, I'll read all 12, but then I'll read the first two with the scriptures that go with it. And if you would like the other scriptures, you can do that maybe after, because it would there's 12 and it would take a long time. <laughs> so, so the first one is an awakened conscience. This is, it's in uh, John 8, 9. An awakened conscience. And so Jesus was at that time speaking in parables. And sometimes they didn't fully understand it. And so they, in this verse, he says, then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? That's an awakened conscience. That's a, give me understanding because that there's meaning to that. This is speaking to something in me. So that, that is just one. Um, and then... There could be a seared conscience. And I know we've talked about that throughout, you know, healing school and so forth. And so 1 Timothy 4.2. I'll just start with the 4.1 and go to 4.2. 1 Timothy one and two. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, I've seen, I've seen somewhat of that in some people, where first they can appear very loving and very this or that, and then they reach a point in life where it, it's as if their conscience is seared. They don't care. They, they become so hardened, their conscience is seared, they're not, they're not receiving maybe uh, or heeding the voice of the Holy Spirit. They want to do what they want to do and their feelings matter and they don't care. And I mean, there's just such a selfishness in that. And their conscience becomes seared. And I don't, I don't want to be, ever be like that or ever take a chance on doing that by not submitting to the Holy Spirit. 
So the other that I will just read them off is a cleansed conscience, a pure conscience, weak, defiled, witnessing, good, convicting or healthy, satisfied, evil, perfect. And so I do have the scriptures that correlate with those if you want those later. So. But we're to maintain a clear conscience. We don't walk in condemnation if we walk according to the Spirit. And <laughs> it's really interesting because, oh boy, have I heard this in Bible studies? Not, not here. Um, but some other ones that I've attended and, and Romans 8, 1. And it says, therefore there, is, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And they'll just put a period right there. Well, I'm not condemned anymore. Huh, what did I have to listen to that? Nope, no condemnation for me. I can just continue to live as I am because, hey, I don't have to feel bad. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Oh, I've heard that, and, and I've heard it recently from believers. And they'll put a period right there. They don't follow up with, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Wow. I was sitting at my table the other day as I was just going over things, and I read that, and I'm like, wow. How often do people leave that last part out? <laughs> wow. Oh, they're happy to not have the condemnation, but they don't want to walk according to the spirit. That, that really changed me and got me thinking. I'm like, God, I've read that so many times. I've read that so many times. Why have I never seen that particular thing before? And then the Lord tells me, because you needed it right now. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> hallelujah, thank you, God. He's so good. Our hearts were sanctified when we became believers. And that's another thing that I kind of contended with. I'm like, wait, we're sanctified. Then why do we have to keep being sanctified? That I didn't quite understand that. Our spirits were sanctified. We were made clean. It's our soul and our mind. In 1 John 3.20, John 3.20. It'll be 3.20-22, I think. Yeah. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. We don't shrink back. We have confidence. We have confidence that the things that we pray, things we ask, he hears. And whatever we ask, we receive of, from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Sanctification comes in right there. We're doing the things that are pleasing him. We're not rejecting him. We're not saying... Oh, but I'm just not sure I want to let this go. I, I, I want to hold on to this a little longer. That unforgiveness, 
boy, the Lord has brought things for me that it's like this time to sanctify that. I had some things happen to me when I was a teenager, and I was pregnant with my son, and I wasn't married, and I was very young. I was 16 when I got pregnant with him, and and uh, our family was very involved in the church, and and I at that point was singing in church, and but they they told me that I needed to sit, sit in the back row of the church. I was not worthy to sit up front or in the middle or three quarters of the way. They wanted me in the back row. Mind you, I didn't do like all other girls did, where they took the easy way out and they took that life. I chose my son. So the youth pastor at that time, he he said, well, you know, you can't get up and sing in front of the church. And he said, you know, it's like an alcoholic. I remember this day so well, I'm standing in the foyer of the church, that he said, it's like an alcoholic. You know, they say they stopped drinking, but you could still smell the alcohol on their breath. So until that smell is gone, how do we know you're not still doing what you're doing before marriage and what's not right before God and so on and so forth? Yeah. That was so hurtful to me. I carried that for a long time. Um, and unforgiveness, bitterness, anger. How dare he, you know, be young like that? And how when that gets in a place early and you let it fester and fester and fester, what it turns into. But you know what? A few years ago, I found him on Facebook. The Lord said, I want you to reach out to him. I want you to tell him you forgive him. Because that was a sanctifying work in me. He said, it doesn't belong. Give it to me. I'll deal with the rest. And I heard Charles Stanley has said this one time, God can handle the consequences of your obedience. So that's what I did. And I said, you know, it's so hard. <laughs> it was hard. But it was healing. It was healing. And, and so what I did was I said, you know what? I just wanted to reach out to you to tell you that I forgive you. And I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for you as a youth pastor to have one of your teens, your youth, where this happened to and you didn't know what to do. And because that was like 40 years ago. My son's turning 40 this year. And so it wasn't super common for, for unwed mothers. So, you know. Um, and I said, I, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for you to handle that or not know how to handle that. And I forgive you. I am telling you the peace and the freedom that came over me because of the sanctification that happened in me. Powerful, powerful. Yes, obedience. <laughs> We're on a progressive sanctification, and that's one thing I'm learning is that the Holy Spirit is teaching me to submit to him daily, daily. As I've been growing in my walk, I've been learning about progressive sanctification, and it's, it's making sense to me now, now that I understand that my spirit has been sanctified, my soul and my mind need sanctified. And so he takes, he's taken me on this journey in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, in the Amplified, 
it says, and I like this version better, <laughs> the particular verse. <laughs> Boy, this just describes it well, what I, the story I just told. So it says, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through. That is, separate you from profane and vulgar things, make you pure and whole and undamaged, consecrated to him, set apart for his purpose. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete and found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. Progressive sanctification. Continually sanctifying us through and through and through. Wow. Wow. Oh, I love his word. I just love his word. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that takes us from glory to glory. Progressive. Progressive sanctification. Glory to glory. Some of the things that I, I've had to deal with, which might seem trivial to some people, but my goodness, it was obviously a problem for me because the Lord needed to sanctify me of it. <laughs> I don't know if you all have dealt with road rage. Oh, it would make me mad when people would cut me off or get right in front of me or not even care that I was there. And before I could turn on the freeway, oh, they had to make sure they got in there. And, and I was very verbal. Nobody could hear me in my car. Maybe my hand gestures they could see. <laughs> I know. I've repented of that. <laughs> and the Lord said, uh-uh. No more of that. That doesn't belong in your life. That's a selfish heart. That's a prideful heart. Oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> that one stings. But did you see what they did to me? He said, I see everything. And I hear everything. And I see the heart on everything. And that's not what I want it to be. <laughs> now? Yes. <laughs> so... He goes, from now on, that happens to you, I want you to bless them. Pray a blessing over them. I'm like, but I don't even know them. <laughs> He's like, it doesn't matter. Pray a blessing over them. You never know what's going on in their life. You never know. So when that person comes up, and I know they're trying to squeeze in, and them, God says, and I hear this all the time, pull back. Pull back. Let them in. Let them in. It's not worth the place of not listening to my spirit. Because your heart will feel condemned as the Holy Spirit deals with you. But he wants to sanctify it. He wants to burn that out of you. So that was one of them. Um, and of course, the other one is unforgiveness, pride, gossiping. How easy is that to do? Well, did you hear about so-and-so? We ought to be praying for them because they're going through this, 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 and this, and it turns into gossip. It does. It does. I think I think it was Cindy that told a story once that, or maybe it was one of her sermons that she was giving a reference to on how easy it is that somebody has something going on and or has 
they've done something to you, and you'll go talk to this other person that you fully trust and vent. And you just want to let it out. And, but we should pray for them. And then it alters maybe how that person then sees that person. And it becomes this vicious cycle of things that is really ugly. So we need to not do that. We need to not gossip. We need to not have malice towards others. We need to not slander others. The Bible is very clear on that. There's things that happen in the spirit realm when we do that. So he wants to burn it out. In Acts 7.51, it tells us that we can resist the Holy Spirit. I've done that before. When I haven't wanted to change something and not go somewhere that I know Holy Spirit saying don't do that and resisting him or I don't want to give this up. No, I'm holding on to it. That's resisting him. So Acts 7.51. It says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that this was the believers at that time. But... What that lets me know, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That tells me it can be done. It can be done. Where is our heart when we're resisting him, when he's speaking to our heart about something? Are we truly in that place of obedience? Okay, God, whatever you need to do. Whatever you need to do. Or are we saying, mm, not yet, not yet. One more time. One more drink. One more this, one more that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just submit to him. There is such freedom. There is such freedom when we do that. I'm so grateful that he doesn't give up on us. <laughs> I would be in so much trouble. <laughs> you know, I, I'm and and, and I, I'm not saying that in a joking way. I say that really truly from my heart. Because where would I be? Where would I be if he wasn't re relentless on me, saying, no, no, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and so patient and so loving. We make our minds renewed not to conform back to the things of the world. Romans 12, 2. And this is a tough one to do, and again, it goes along with we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the, that is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Wow. Renewing of your mind. And boy, has the Lord, had, he's had to do that in me. And, and I so welcome it. I so welcome it. Because what I have received in having the mind of Christ is I don't see the world the same. I just don't. I don't see situations the same. I don't walk the same. I don't live the same. And and I get pushback from people because I'm not participating. Whether it is slander and I don't participate in it or whether it is
lifestyle of maybe maybe drinking more, uh, even the partying with or whatever it happens to be, and uh, but the freedom and and that infilling and that it's that place that okay the Lord says you know what you're trustworthy it's it's time to come up and He reveals new things and it's just this continual it's this continual thing that happens with us that is so incredible so incredible and I heard Pastor Cindy say this yesterday and I'm like I'm going to remember that she says I don't want to leave this earth with the things God put in me that I will be able to see what I didn't pour out and a sanctified heart will keep you in that place to do that to be able to do that I do not want to enter heaven. I do not want to die and leave this earth with the things that the Lord has placed in me that I did not pour out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You might seem like you're insignificant or you don't have anything to offer or whatever it happens to be or you're not as good as this person or as good as that person and and again, that's another part of sanctification is that, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's people I'm like, I wish I could teach like them. <laughs> I wish I could sing like them or draw like them or uh, have a confidence like them or whatever. Uh, drive a go-kart like them or whatever it happens to be. And the Lord says, that's not how I made you. That's not, that's not you. I have in you what I want you to be. And with that sanctification and how he is changing me, I am able to take that out to others. And we all have that purpose. And just allowing that sanctification process to come in into that person that he wants us to be. There's residue sometimes in our life that it, it needs to be submitted. It needs to be cleaned out. He wants to get rid of it. Much of the things that we deal with today have been around for a long time. Long time. And we think, wow, why is the world turning like this? Why is everything so bad? And, oh no, it's been around a long time. What has been before will be again. I believe that's in Ecclesiastics. Okay? Because I, <laughs> I didn't write that verse down. Um, but Satan can't create anything new. He can't. Only God can create new. And as we know, we live in a world with rampant problems, with alcohol, drugs, sexual immorality, and moral decay. It was no different for those in Corinth back in the day of Paul. And so I found, I found some things I wanted to read to you guys that was like, whoa. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God for giving this revelation to me and showing this to me. So I'm going to read I'm going to read it to you. So Corinth Paul wrote to the Corinthians, hence we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, and it describes here that Corinth was a very wicked and flesh-dominated city. A long history of being rebellious to authority is the reason the Romans completely destroyed it in 146 BC, leaving it uninhabitable uninhabitable for nearly a century. That's a long time. In approximately 44 BC, 
Roman Emperor Julius Caesar, saw that Corinth was an ideal site for a city to begin because of its location on an isthmus, is that a thing about? Okay, <laughs> between two major ports. Yes. One of the west, one on the west and one on the east. Because of Corinth, it was highly accessible. Caesar decided to rebuild and repopulate the ancient municipality once again. How a city is birthed often determines the future spiritual state of that city. And such was the case with Corinth. Strange as it may sound to our modern minds, Julius Caesar actually believed he was a direct descendant of Aphrodite. I never knew that. Who was the goddess of sex? In the cult of Aphrodite, intermingling with sacred prostitutes was an inter integral part of worship. This is important to note because when Julius Caesar decided to rebuild Corinth, he made the decision to dedicate it to Aphrodite, his supposed ancestor. You can guess why this was so devastating morally to the people who came to occupy the city, as we will see in the following descriptions of it. Since Corinth had been utterly destroyed earlier when it rebelled against Rome, the site didn't have much to offer, not much to newcomers, newcomers, and no one really wanted to move there to rebuild it. The, to lure people to the city that was being reconstructed, Julius Caesar offered a special deal to former soldiers, sailors, and legionnaires. He promised that if they would voluntarily move to help rebuild Corinth, he would give them money, land, and a future leadership role in the city. The deal Caesar offered was so impressive that huge numbers took advantage of it and began moving to Corinth to assist in reconstruction. These former soldiers, sailors, and legionnaires were tough, rough, and shrewd people. They were looking for position, land, future influence, and the ability to make fast money. Huh, we see that today. <laughs> fast money, how can I make money? <laughs> this means the city's founding leaders were opportunists. They were followed by others who scrambled to get to Corinth from all over the Roman Empire because word was out that it was going to be a place to make an easy buck. Because Julius Caesar had dedicated Corinth to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex, the city soon mushroomed with a thriving sex industry. The constant influx of soldiers and sailors into Corinth fueled the prostitution business until eventually it became the largest source of revenue for the city. I never knew that. I didn't know that about Corinth. It would, it would be difficult to exaggerate the sexual immorality that infested every nook and cranny of Corinth every hour of every day. In addition to the illicit sex that continually filled Corinth, many brothels, such, such activity also freely transpired in the temple precincts that were dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite. In addition, the Corinthians had many public bathhouses that also teemed with perverse sexual activities, including widespread homosexuality. A study of sexual practices in the Greek world shows that sex was even offered in bakeries as clients waited for hot bread. 
This shows how rampant the problem was in the city. Men were the primary clientele of these establishments, so bakery prostitutes would peddle their wares, taking willing clients into annex rooms for a sexual escapade before returning home. Sexual immorality became so widespread in Corinth that sporting events also became venues for sexual activities. You know, that, that rung a bell with me because with sporting events, especially the Super Bowl and child trafficking, and even women being trafficked, here we go, sporting events. When men left their seats in the stadium to walk in pub to the public toilet, they were regularly approached by prostitutes on duty. Those who accepted a prostitute's proposition would be taken under the arches of the stadium to engage in sex. Right under the seats where people were watching the game. Once finished, they would return to their seats for the remainder of the game with no sense of guilt or shame. In today's world, we have specific rules for different types of sex that people engage in, such as heterosexual, homosexual. In recent years, the scope of sexual terms has greatly expanded. Bisexual, transsexual, all those, yeah. <laughs> it's a sign of moral degradation of our own times when we turn to paganism. But in the first century, such labels didn't exist. People merely saw themselves as sexual. In the pagan world, it didn't matter what a person did or whom they did, whom with they did it. It was literally an anything-goes pagan paradise. Goodness gracious. Wow. At one time, this sounded bizarre to modern men. Unfortunately, a society that is adrift today is returning to its lawless roots. To all of this, you must add the proliferation of alcohol and other mind-altering substances that enjoyed widespread use and were fused into the fabric of culture at that time. Alcohol was used in idol worship as a sacrament and a tool to commune with the spirit realm. And it was commonly used by prostitutes to loosen up their customers. So right here, I, I'm going to put in a little thing of, of some of my own experience of, of what God dealt with me as far as alcohol. You know, you, you go to social places and you have a glass of wine. It's not a big deal. You know? It's okay. They had wine in the Bible, right? Right? <laughs> and then God brought me to a point because it didn't, it, was, it wasn't just a glass of wine. He would go out with friends and you, you drink your glass. Hey, you want another one? Sure. Then you have another one. Maybe another one. And then what happens is it alters your mind. And the Lord told me. He said, I do not want you drunk with wine. I want you filled with the Spirit. My Spirit will not compete with another Spirit. Then he said, what do they call alcohol? Spirit. Some are stronger than others. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Just like in the demonic realm, the different ranks and so on. It's mind-altering. It changes your behavior. It changes almost 
kind of like your personality because you know you wouldn't act like that if you weren't drinking. Yeah. Yeah, not kind of. <laughs> and that was one thing, and, and the Lord did tell me at one point, he said, if you don't give this up and you continue to do this, you will die. And you will die early. And you will die way earlier than what my appointed time is for you. Wow, God, I had no idea. And in the times when, say, say I would slip back or what, that was rebellion. Because I knew the Lord had told me. He was trying to sanctify me. He was trying to teach me something. He wanted to make me holy. Er. <laughs> and he wanted to sanctify me. He knew that wasn't good for me. He knew that was the wrong path. He knew the demons and the spirits that are attached to that. And I'll tell you what, what if it's alcohol or mind-altering drugs, any form of addiction, cigarettes, food, TV shows, <laughs> God doesn't want those things. Yeah, our cell phones, Netflix, my goodness, the things we're exposed to, our eye gates and our ear gates and the, the music we listen to and so on and so forth, those are the things that we need to purify. If the Lord is calling your heart and placing on your heart, those are things we need to crucify, we need to be sanctified of, to be pure and holy. So that was just one of my personal experiences and so continuing on with that and what was used as far as alcohol so that they were more readily engaging in illicit sexual activity. They, Corinth had built extensive cellars designed to hold vast stores of alcohol. Boy, I see that today. I have friends that have huge wine cellars. Oh, it's got to be a perfect temperature. It's got to be this particular wine. It's got to come from this grape. It's got this vineyard. This, what a worship. What a worship of alcohol. You know, and for what? Why? The Lord said there's no redeeming quality in it. There's not. From the evidence available, we can conclude that the alcohol business was booming in that city. In short, every type of vice and sin was available in Corinth that you could imagine. In addition to the sex industry, Corinth became a swindler's paradise with plenty of gambling and extortion going back or going on to attract shady people who wanted to make a quick buck. Holy Spirit said, boom, casinos. <laughs> Ooh, but it's fun. It's just entertainment. That's not a good spirit of your mind. As a result, Corinth had a worldwide reputation as a party town. Huh, have you guys heard that before? One of our universities here in ASU is ranked one of the top party universities. Yeah. Wow. So in the 60s, you learned that not to go to Arizona because of that. Wow. Wow. And our children are going there. And our children are being corrupted by that. Not only the, and, and not 
to be political, but it's that liberal agenda of trying to destroy our children's minds so the enemy can get this generation. And it's happening right here. Wow. Wow. People surrendered themselves to any indulgence they desired, doing whatever they pleased with almost no restrictions. And if they were visitors in Corinth, they could usually return to their homes with no one aware of what they'd done or if they'd been there. And you'll find this super interesting. Boy, this struck me. <laughs> People who came to Corinth knew what was done in Corinth stayed in Corinth. Las Vegas. Oh, Lord. Sin City. Rampant. Just take Corinth. I don't know about you, but honestly, I can't rightfully go into that city knowingly of what it is compared to the biblical time that Paul was addressing and warning and saying, this isn't okay, this isn't right. That, that just kind of blew me away because I had never heard that before, and I always wondered where Vegas got that saying. Funny how they take things from the Bible and they twist it and pervert it, just like Satan, isn't it? Foul language, gross immorality, abundant alcohol, persuasive practices of gambling, extortion, and swindling, this fictional city of Corinth. But God's power miraculously showed up. Paul preached the gospel. Many of those listening responded. Those who repented and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, were instantly made new in Christ. The blood of Jesus cleansed them. The dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit came to reside in them, and God declared them righteous. Again, 1 Corinthians 1-2, saints, declared them saints. God deemed these former pagans holy. Jerry Bridges, the author of Pursuit of Holiness, Noted, God has not called us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. It applies to every person who has ever come to Christ. When a Corinthian repented and received Christ as Lord and Savior, God instantly declared him righteous, just as we did with you. Your soul still needs to be renewed by the word of God. Romans 12, 2. Old feelings, desires, and ways of thinking, they're still, they're still in the process of being changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's, it's what we face today. There's a lot of, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, there's a description of, an itemized description, a laundry list of descriptions of what we're not supposed to do, what makes us unrighteous. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, <laughs> what word is it? That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Nor abuser, 
pictures of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And when I looked up the uh, FM minute, um, those were, were men that would sleep together. Yeah. So fornication, sex before marriage, adultery, sex with other people while you're married. I mean, as we all know. So there's one, there's one thing that, that I found really interesting, which was fornicators. And it, the word fornicators, it comes from the Greek word pornia, and it describes all sexual activity outside of marriage. It's the same root word for prostitute. We can know God's view on the matter. If a person is having sexual relations with anyone outside of God-ordained marriage, it's an act of prostitution in his eyes. But the other thing that's really important that I think, I, we hear a lot of this in the United States, which is pornography. And uh, I've, I've, I've gotten some excuses from men that is, well, if their wife's not doing what they need to do at home, what choice do they have? They gotta go look at this, or they got, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, the word pornography comes from the word pornea. Pornos means prostitute. Grapho, pornography, is written or made into a graphic. So it could be a magazine, and it could be a movie that you watch. Those who participate in that, it, he or she is committing mental prostitution. And I never heard it put that way. It's a mental prostitution that God sees and doesn't like. And those will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's many, many other explanations that I have on here when it comes to idolaters and, and um, you know, adulterers and, oh, it, go, it goes through all of them. Um, it could take a long time. <laughs> But when we become believers, we all used to live that way in some way or another. Whether the sin in our life was lying or stealing or, or whatever it happens to be, a drunkard, um, an idolater, um, whatever it happened to be. We were following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature. We were under God's anger just like everybody else. But God is so rich in mercy so rich in mercy. He loved us so much still that even while we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life and he raised Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He calls us holy. Those who trust in Jesus and receive Jesus, he calls us holy. 1 Corinthians 6.11 But ye are washed, sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The word washed means washed thoroughly and completely. Woohoo! <laughs> Better than Tide. Better than <laughs> Oxyclean. <laughs> oh. 
we're supposed to live our lives and be a reflection of who he recreated us to be. We're supposed to flee from those things. Um, I did want to read, Cindy had, had taught, hmm, actually I have to look at the date on this one. But one of the things we need to be careful of is what we see and what we take in, what we surround ourselves with. And um, let's see, Judy Adams was teaching last week, and she was teaching on fear. And one of the things that she, she said was garbage in, garbage out. I think we need to remember that. If what I'm watching and choosing and, and maybe becoming numb to and is garbage coming in? If it is, there's going to be garbage coming out. And we need to keep ourselves pure. And we need to stay away from those places that maybe are a temptation or create a problem for us or, um, you know, whatever it happens to be, a part of that is that we're not going to be yielding to sin. And does that mean that every single time that, okay, I'm going to sin just because I go there? No. But if it's a little at a time and a little at a time, it, it's going to become more difficult. God wants you to be set apart. He's called you to be separate from among them. We don't override the checks of the Holy Spirit. When we ignore the Holy Spirit, Satan's voice gets louder. It does. And we ignore that and we resist him and his voice gets louder. We begin to not listen so much to the Holy Spirit and this becomes a little more important and then we become a little more dead, I guess, a little more numb. And before you know it, it becomes full-blown sin because we don't take those thoughts captive. We don't take those temptations and say, absolutely not. We're either going to yield to God or we're going to yield to Satan. So, as I was reading, and what God gave me, and it, it's so good because he always lines it up with his word, is he wants to purify us, he wants to refine us, he wants to make us whole. Purify us. And I was thinking, wow, Lord, how can I, how can I describe this in, in this teaching? And so there's some scriptures here. And Job 23.10, so I'll read that one, and it just kind of, everything that Job went through and didn't understand why was this happening, and his friends were trying to tell him, oh, but you probably sinned, and you probably did this, and so on. But he said in 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And, and some other scriptures in, in 1 Corinthians, Peter, and Proverbs, it and talks about gold and being refining, refined as gold. I was watching something the other day, so I'll, I'll try to end with this. And my husband was watching it on YouTube, and it was refining gold. I'm like, oh, God, you're so good. <laughs> it's perfect timing. The process that they have to go through, the impurities that they have to get out, that don't belong, otherwise that gold is not going to be what it could be. Wow. It, it, if I could have played it up here, it, it would have just been so, I think, eye-opening to you guys to be able to see that. You can all 
find it on YouTube or whatever, but it was like, wow, God, that was us. That was us before we came to know Jesus, and we had all this stuff in us, and, and, and we needed this. We, you know, we could have remained in that state and just been a lump, just been a whatever. <laughs> but because of Jesus, because of our Father, because of Holy Spirit, who walks with us daily, we are being refined as gold. So let me find a picture here that I can show you. It was so cool. So this, I guess, would represent us before. And it's not very pretty. <laughs> I mean, I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder, I guess. <laughs> But that, that's us. I mean, there's so much junk and gunk, and maybe it could be used for other things. I don't think so. Your door stopped. <laughs> but then when he refines us, and I couldn't get the brilliancy of what we turn into. Perfect, pure, holy, awesome. Like, people look at us and what God's done in us, and they're like, I want that. <laughs> I want that. So I don't know about you, and I don't know if there's things going on maybe in your life you're contending with and the Lord's dealing with you on, and if it's an attitude, if it's whatever, whatever it happens to be, and you want him to purify your heart and set you free, we can pray. We can pray together. Take it to the Lord. Let him crucify it. Let him make you holy, holy, holy. Through and through. Through and through. Go from glory to glory. Don't sit in a place where you're contending with this and you won't let it go and you get condemnation and you're being rebellious and all of this. Let him sanctify you through and through. There's power, there's freedom. And in that, we can know and we can be assured and our hearts won't be condemned when we pray. God heals, God heals, God. It is, it is, it is the thing that happens that he does that, that only he knows how he can do it. So we get the benefit of it. We get the benefit. And whatever it is, Whatever it is, if you need prayer, let us pray for you. Don't sit with it anymore. Get free. Get free, because I am telling you. I was telling Cindy this story, and I'll, I will finish with this story. Um, uh, as I've, if I, I've just done this more and more, where I've said, I just want you, God. I want you. I want you to sanctify me. If there's anything, every day I wake up, every night I go to bed, if there's anything in me that I did knowingly or unknowingly, and I maybe sinned against you, or I did this, I repent. Repent means to go back to. Pent, the re goes back to. Pent is the top level of a penthouse. You go back to. God's reality, the top place, the, the place of where God wants you to be with him. Repent. Repent of it. 
that fast. He restores you because he knows your heart. Let him do it. Let him do it. It is so worth it. And the story was, so as I did that, I had a vision, and it was steps. And so God said, Psalm 37, God delights in the steps you take. So I'm like, okay, so I'll go up one step. And he goes, no, no. He said, you know what? You're allowing me to sanctify you. You are, you are choosing and wanting, and I see your heart, and I see that deep, deep desire. And I could see Jesus reach his hand down. And he says, I want you coming up about 10 steps. And I was like, oh. And he goes, you can choose to do that or not. You know, and I just imagine him just taking me and going, whoop, past those 10 steps. It didn't have to be just one little step. Certainly it can be. But God wants to take you higher. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you new and new and new and new and new. Continually, glory to glory. Trust him in that. Trust him in that and be good, Father. So, Father God, we thank you for this word today. Lord, I am so grateful that you speak to each one of our hearts that how you know to do. You know exactly where we are. None of us are in the same place. None of us are contending with the same thing. But God, you know. And you know exactly what needs to be done. And you have so much for us, and you love us, and you are so, so faithful. You have so much to give your saints. Let us walk in that. Let us walk in that holiness wherever we step. Let us walk a sanctified life that daily we are dying to things of ourselves. Pick up our cross daily, daily, and follow you. We thank you for being able to do that. We have that privilege and that honor. We just give you glory, honor, and praise. In your mighty name, amen.